Perspectives, Perspectives, and I'm your host, Sneha. Perspectives is about bringing you conversations from individuals around the world, sharing their stories and experiences of life. We're trying to create a space to have the necessary but sometimes hard conversations on mental health, community, life, and everything in between. Conversation and information are an integral part of our lives and our growth. And with our very same hope, incredible people from all over the globe are sharing their perspective with you. Please know that sometimes these discussions get intense and we touch on topics like depression, anxiety, self-harm, abuse, and more. So if any of these topics can trigger you, please take care while listening. Listen with a friend or someone you trust. If this environment is not immediately available to you, I request a way to learn a better state of mind in a safer space. Also know we are not professionals giving out any medical opinions, but individuals sharing our perspective and our stories. If you need any professional help, please seek the same. This podcast is not a substitute for professional help. Thank you and take care. And without any more further delay, let's get into today's chat. Joining me today from the US is Darren. He is a speaker, musician, photographer, writer, activist, and conversation starter. And we're about to have an incredibly important and incredibly special conversation for the podcast. And I'm so grateful that Darren has taken the time to join us today. Um, could you start us off with a little introduction or just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hey there, everybody. My name is Darren Calhoun. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm joining from Chicago, Illinois in the United States. Um, I have been a worship leader, a photographer. I sing in a band called The Many and uh, somebody who's been doing advocacy around racial justice and LGBTQ plus inclusion uh, here in the U.S. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and have this conversation. Glad to be here. Um, so like I told you, perspectives and mind matters. Um, a lot of the conversations are about mental health, community, our experiences. So if you're comfortable, would you tell us growing up, were you exposed to a lot of conversations around mental health and sexuality at all? Uh, mental health, I think growing up was kind of something that we only thought of in extreme cases. So if you saw someone who maybe was talking to the air while walking down the street, or maybe in a movie, you saw like this kind of scary mental breakdown situation but we didn't really think of it as everyday things like depression or anxiety. Um, we didn't think of it as even things like executive dysfunctioning or ADHD. Like it was really just for these extreme kind of movie type cases. Um, and getting help for a mental health issue was also seen as like, oh, you're, you're very bad. You're in a very, very, uh, harmful place or, 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 you know, you're in an extreme case, um, but it wasn't the kind of thing that was talked about as an everyday um, resource. I can completely relate to that. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, I lost my brother when I was 16 years old. I come from a culture and community where we don't have any of these conversations. It has been six and a half years. I still haven't had a conversation about what has happened within my family. That's the kind of state of what mental health was. And you're right with the uh, social media or other any sort of media representation of mental health it shows an extreme and it creates this false narrative of what it's expected to be and that's what's been perpetuated and that's what people have as an idea but having conversations like this is what breaks down this false belief of what it is and kind of just normalizes how it's actually an everyday thing Um, I think in our everyday conversations, we don't make enough room to just be present with grief and be present with the hard things that happen. One step at a time. I think uh, the work that you're doing exactly, like I, I love that how you describe yourself is as a conversation starter, because that's honestly the first step towards making any sort of change. Absolutely. And I, I think that... Um, that us bringing our stories, us bringing the things that have happened to us, the things that we're still in progress with, um, us being vulnerable and transparent really is what gives other people permission 
to do the same, right? Like how different would our lives be if our parents had shared a little bit more with us or been a little bit more open with us about the things that they don't fully understand or that they're still processing and working on? I couldn't agree more, but what we're hoping with this initiative is at least with us, let's start that step of choosing vulnerability and showing every side of ourselves. Absolutely. And, I, and I, there's so much power in there, you know, like, again, we saw vulnerability as, oh, someone could hurt you or someone could use your story against you. And while that's true, someone can do those things. There's so much power that we gain in opening up and sharing our stories and inviting others to start sharing with us as well. Um, I, I think it really, the, the benefits really outweigh the risks in all of this. I couldn't agree more. Um, Darren, if you're comfortable, uh, would you be open to telling us a little bit about your experience with conversion therapy? Sure. Um, growing up, uh, I, um, that's the, that's, where's the best place to start? I remember growing up and feeling uh, when we were hitting puberty and starting to, to get a little older, I remember feeling um, like, okay, well, when's the part where, where me as a guy starts liking girls? When does, when does that kick in? Because they said it in sex ed and, and they talked about it in school and my friends are all having these experiences. And while I was a little bit younger than most of my peers uh, in school, um, I was not having the same experiences. I, I started having crushes on some of the guys in school. And even then I wouldn't have called it a crush. It was just, they were fascinating. They were interesting. Um, and so I remember like reading books and trying to figure out, okay, when does the, when's, when do I get normal? Um, and uh, as I proceeded through high school and into college, it was like, okay, well, I'm gay. And this is just, what that's going to be. Um, but it wasn't until college that uh, right after I came out as gay, I met a guy on campus and we started talking about, I uh, just basically said, I'm black, I'm Christian and I'm gay, get used to it. And he pushed back on that. He challenged, he said, what does God want for your life? And that conversation led to us uh, having Bible studies together, and that led to this moment where I um, stopped identifying as gay, where I felt like maybe God had changed me in some kind of way, um, and that led to about nine years of very actively trying to become heterosexual, um, because when I had that initial experience, it was like, oh, I just want to be Christian, but, um, but soon after, like within months, it was okay, well, I still have some feelings. I never developed feelings toward women, but, um, but now I'm struggling with this kind of internal secret. Um, and eventually I, I went to my pastor about it. Um, and that pastor uh, told me that I should never tell anyone about that, that I should be ashamed that it was ever part of my life and that um, I should, um, yeah, I should forget that it ever happened. Um, and that was shocking, as it, as it may sound to many people who are watching or listening. Um, but it was, it was really the first time I had shame about my sexuality. Um, and it was the beginning of a very, very deep struggle where I became more depending on, dependent on the church for guidance. But um, I became more and more unhealthy as, uh, as I got deeper and deeper into following the the wishes of this leader who was promising me promises promising me that I could become heterosexual if I followed followed these directions the uh, go ahead no I just wanted to say thank you for like sharing this and like starting this conversation here yeah it's uh it, it felt like I was the only one, um, like I wasn't in a formal program. There wasn't an official name for what I was going through. Uh, while at the same time in the United States, there were organizations like Exodus and, and other ministries that had a very formal program of, of change or conversion therapy. Um, for, many, for many Black and uh, people of color in the United States, 
it was just our pastors kind of telling us this is what God wants you to do and kind of figuring out on their own. And so what ends up happening is we, um, we followed what our pastors were saying. We, we did what we we're supposed to do, but we're still struggling. And so it'd become a culture of you either keep struggling in silence or you basically leave the church and go and be a, a gay person, be a queer person. Um, but for me, neither one of those ended up happening. Uh, I eventually left that church. Um, I um, joined another church where I said, hey, I'm struggling, but you know, I want to get help. And I realized that I could be loved by God without becoming heterosexual. I realized that the church I was in previously was more, more like a cult than it was a church and that I had a lot of, a lot of unlearning to do. Um, and then lastly, um, me beginning the work of kind of healing from all of that stuff and figuring out, okay, well, I am a gay man and I am loved by God, um, but also like not to figure out how to live life um, without the shame and the guilt um, that was kind of, that was introduced through all of that uh, very harmful teaching that I received. And so that's where I am today, uh, happily in a church that's fully affirming, um, but still uh, working through a lot of the bad teaching that I was given. Thank you for sharing that. I cannot even imagine what that experience was and what that journey was. And I think just when you share your story, if people like this is a big reason why storytelling is a big part of this platform. When we share our stories, I think when we hear them, people hearing them, it's, we don't have to relate to every part of it. If we can resonate with even a percentage of the entire story, it makes us feel less alone. It makes us feel validated. And I think Absolutely. I have so much respect for what you're doing and how you're showing up in this world and how you're holding space for all these conversations. Yeah, it's, um, it's for me, it, it, it's a privilege in some ways to, um, to have the opportunities that I have to share my story. Um, one of the things that's, that's a, a beautiful little bittersweet piece of this is that the church that did all those harmful things to me was also the same place where I learned grassroots community organizing, where I learned how, how my story and how my gifts could be used to help affect change. And so at the time we were affecting change around uh, drugs and violence that were happening in my neighborhood. But the tools that I was learning, um, the, the, the practice that I was getting was eventually what would help me to uh, help me to, to challenge churches and to challenge, uh, to challenge Christians um, about the ways that they've been harmful to LGBTQ people. Um, and so I, you know, I feel like it's like Moses who was raised in the house of, of Pharaoh, the oppressor of the Hebrew people. And when Moses, when God's moment for Moses came up, it was where Moses would then lead those people out of the oppressor's house with the tools he learned <laughs> with the, with the skills and the gifts and the, and the, the, the wisdom that he learned from Pharaoh. Um, so I think in the same way, it's just like, yeah, like we all may have come from very harmful situations, um, but there's probably something, something useful that we can salvage out of there as we work to make the world a better place. There truly is something so admirable when someone uses their own experiences to help others, others not have to go through something similar. Again, I have so much respect and admiration for the work you're doing and for you right now. I appreciate it. Would you be open to telling us um, how did you reconcile with your faith after the experiences that you had? Yeah, um, it, that, that's another interesting part of all of this. Um, while I was going through it um, and some of the, the, some of the moments where I felt most, dis where I had the most despair for my life, where I considered suicide, um, those are the moments where God would just kind of show up and remind me that I'm loved, um, where God would, would kind of sing back to me. Um, uh, if, if, for those who are curious, if you look in Zephaniah, um, it's a very tiny little book of the Bible. There's a, there's a part in, I think, chapter three, where it talks about God singing over us and dancing and rejoicing about us. 
And that really sat in my heart and it was just like, God, everybody in my church is telling me that I'm, that I'm, that I'm damned, that, um, that God doesn't love me or won't accept me as I am. But God, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit was, was reminding me that I am loved as I am and where I am. And every time I feel horrible, God shows up and, and, and loves me. Um, so the conflict wasn't with God, it was with the church. And um, that, that abiding presence of God, that way that God would keep showing up for me, um, really helped me to, to kind of survive those moments. Um, but then beyond that, I needed really good friends, people who would keep reminding me that God loves me, people who would challenge what the church was saying, um, people who would affirm what God was doing in my heart and in my spirit, um, and people who would who would just be my friend. They wouldn't try to tell me what, what's right or what's wrong, but people who would just love me no matter what and reflect that unconditional love of God toward me. Um, and then in the last 10 plus years, it's been looking at everything, everything I understood, everything I believed, everything that I had abandoned in that church. Like, do I love God? Yes. Does God love me? Yes. Do I believe in Jesus? Yes. Um, is what happened to me God's will for me? No. Can God, re can God redeem or restore or make something new and beautiful and good out of those broken pieces? Absolutely. Um, and that that process, talking with therapists, talking with church leaders and building healthier, safer relationships has been absolutely critical. Um, I cannot underestimate the value of having a therapist during that time who wasn't set on, on having a, a certain outcome. Like I went, went, the first time I went to therapy, I was like, okay, I need to become heterosexual and I need to deal with this and deal with that, deal with my pornography use and blah, 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 blah. And instead, I came out happily gay. I came out um, um, in a much better relationship with people in my life. And I even came out challenging the, the, the next church that I went to uh, when they had some less harmful but still problematic ways of handling me and my transparency. Um, it was one of those things where they didn't have policy about how LGBTQ people could serve, what it meant for them to be pleasing in the church. Um, and so they would kind of stumble through um, doing things like they restricted me from leading worship for a number of years. And I had to ask them, I was like, am I a harm or am I a bad example for the congregation? And they said, no. And I asked them, I was like, well, why are you restricting me from leading worship? And they say, oh, well, we have this rule, we have this policy. And with tears in their eyes, they told me that I couldn't lead. And I said, you don't even believe this. This is, <laughs> you're upholding a rule that you created that you don't think applies in this situation. And what I learned was that um, churches sometimes gaslight us into dealing with the stuff that's their responsibility and their problem and they make it into our problem. And they tell us that we need to work it out. And I did that for close to 20 years between the two churches I've talked about so far of going, okay, well, let me look at the scripture. Let me figure this out. Let me research this. Let me get some books and opinions and, and let me come back to you and, and have these deep conversations on a monthly basis. And all this work I was doing was for their benefit. It wasn't because I needed it. It was because they needed it and they couldn't own the fact that they just didn't, hadn't done their work. Um, and so now I'm in this place of really being cautious and, and being mindful that sometimes people are, are saying things are your fault or saying that you're doing something wrong. And it's because they're uncomfortable, not because you're wrong, not because you've done any, and not because you're at fault in any way. Um, and so it, it really does change how, how I navigate when, when a parent or some, some, when I hear a parent or something say, well, my kid's just not, not following God's will. It was like, well, maybe that's your issue. <laughs> maybe that's how you feel. And, you know, maybe that's something that you have to spend more time figuring out for yourself. Wow. Well, um, with your entire experience in your journey, did you ever find yourself struggling with your own faith? Like with any moments of questioning? 
if you're open to telling us yeah um it, it's wild um it sounds it sounds cliche to me um but the closest that i got to really doubting or questioning if god was real or if this was if i was somehow on god's path for my life um it was right after i left that that first church that very abusive uh church um they the pastor was was one who kind of preached doom and gloom if you weren't living according to the pastor's will and so right after i left I'd, I'd been living in indiana as a part of their leadership i they told me to quit school give up my car um, forsake my friends and family and i did all of those things and I, eventually i realized that this was not going to help me live a life that was pleasing to god um and so when i had come to that conviction in myself uh, i moved back to chicago and the same week that i moved back i got very sick um, I had a car accident and totaled my mom's car. Um, so now neither one of us had a car. Um, I uh, had a really uh, upsetting interaction with a close friend who had been friends, we'd been friends for years. And all of this happened kind of in the same week. And I remember when that car accident happened, I was sitting on the side of the road in the rain, had spun out in a, um, two cars had, had spun out in front of me. I swerved to miss them. They didn't hit each other and they were able to drive on, but I ended up hitting the, 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 the concrete median on the side of the road and my car got damaged. And so now I'm sitting in the rain. All this change is happening at once, feeling so isolated, so alone. And it was just like, God, this is the part where I either lose my mind and just never come back or where I feel like everything I've ever believed was fake and false and that that none of this ever mattered or that I'm right in the middle of you know where you're doing something amazing and redeeming and that even though it looks a complete mess right now that god maybe maybe there's still hope there's still something to believe in here and I remember in that moment, not feeling like losing the rest of my mind was an option. I felt like, yeah, nope, I'm still here. Like I am still alive. God is still speaking to me, even though I feel like everything is wrong in my life right now. Um, and in that moment, it was just like, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm either really crazy or I'm really, really believing and trusting you. And uh, I was able to come to this conviction or to come to this belief that, that yeah, I'm not crazy. I'm trusting you. And it certainly paid off <laughs> in the long run. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was a really difficult season. But now it's just like, nah, y'all can tell me I'm not a Christian all day long. I, I know who I believe in. <laughs> Ultimately, it comes down to what our faith is, right? What we believe in. I don't think... I think we've been conditioned to like pay attention to the society and the voices mm -hmm. from outside from our childhood. And I think right. I've always felt like um, the moment you're born, you're placed in a role, there's a script that's list written out for you and you just got to follow the lines. And if you ever <laughs> try to sort of deviate, you're met with so much dissent. And I think that sort of conditioned us to think like, this is what life is. This is what I'm supposed to believe in. This is what I'm told to do. And we're just so used to like needing the approval of those around us and like them acknowledging what we wanted to feel. I think the, at least for my own personal journey as well, the moment I recognize that it doesn't matter what those around me think of me and what I think of myself and what, what I want to believe and what my faith is, that was a turning point for me as well. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing that story. It, and it's... <laughs> It, it's so amazing that we churches and faith systems often teach us that everything's kind of written out for us, but I'm, I'm inclined to believe that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And that means that God, who's the creator of all, also made us creators. So we're co-creators with God. Like we are writing future. We are writing possibilities in concert with what God has been doing all along. 
And there's so much more freedom in that. Um, so it doesn't mean, oh, well, the Bible says there's only Adam and Eve. It's like, well, that might have been how things started, maybe. But what if in the same way that, that the Garden of Eden was very simple and only had a few things, but we see if you look in, in Revelation in the Bible where there's all kinds of things that weren't in the Garden of Eden. There were things that were created later. There were things that were part of human invention and human history. So what if the fact that we do have, <clears throat> excuse me, what if the fact that we do have multiple genders and what if the fact that we do have different expressions and different sexualities and different um different gender identities and and what if all of this is part of us co-creating what if all of this is part of the beautiful wonder of, of creation that uh that that god put us right in the middle of from the beginning like i think yeah i think there's so much possibility and and, and wonder and, and amazing ability that comes when we stop limiting ourselves and saying oh no 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 we can't do this we can't do that it has to be this way it's just like no we're awesome <laughs> yes and i've always wondered like who, who decides what's right and wrong like who's decided that this is the what what normal is and what life is supposed to be i've always wondered who who decided it i would say people who want to control power people who want to to maintain that what they say goes so that they can have power, so that they can have money, so that they can protect themselves in many ways. And the, the, the problem with that, because, you know, yes, everyone wants to protect themselves, but the problem with protecting it by dominance in that way is that um, you're always fighting. And I don't think we were created to always be fighting. I think we were created to, to really live together, um, to live with each other. And uh, there are ways that we can do that without it being about who's in charge. I, that is a beautiful hope for this world, honestly. Yeah. And something <laughs> we desperately need, especially in current times. Truly. Um, so like we've been talking, um, you're a big advocate for speaking your story and sharing experiences. Why was it so important for you to hold these spaces for these conversations, especially around racial inequality and the queer community? Yeah, I think of it a lot from the perspective of what was it that I always wanted? What did I, what did I need while I was growing up? And how can I be a part of creating that for others? Um, just this morning, um, I was watching I'd opened YouTube to share a video of my band, The Many, and the first thing that popped up on YouTube was a video of two guys singing um, A Whole New World from Aladdin. And that was originally released in 1992, which would have made me 12, if you do the math, <laughs> um, a long time ago, right? Um, before some of the people who are listening were even born. But I felt such a moment of like wonder and relief for the 12 year old in me who loved that song, who loved that movie, but couldn't fully see myself in it because I was trying to figure out if I was straight or heterosexual or not. And now all these years later in 2021, um, the same place that released that movie back then is now making space for queer kids to see themselves and, and hear themselves and see people like themselves singing that song to each other, um, to guys singing that song to each other. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I needed this. I, even as a 41-year-old as a man, I needed, my 12-year-old self still needed to see that and still needs to have that experience. And so I feel like what, how different might my life had been had there been other people who also had the same struggles and, and challenges as me, had they been more open with their stories and had they been more open with the, with the things that they were, they were experiencing. Um, and I've had so many people uh, in the interviews that I've done and the places I've spoken say, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. Or, oh my gosh, I needed to hear that. Or um, people introduce me to their, to their friend or, or you know, they share one of my videos or share a song that my band did. 
and they just the hope and the change that comes out of that it, it's so energizing I'm like getting goosebumps just talking about it right now um like I see how quickly things change when when we're willing to be out there like that and it's it's not easy it's come at a cost I've had conservative Christian media um stalk my Facebook page and write horrible articles about me and my church um but that isn't that isn't enough to outweigh the wonderful, amazing things that have happened because people's lives are changing, because people are being reminded that it's okay to have a therapist, that it's okay to disagree with your pastor, that it's okay that your family thinks you're wasting your life and that you're finding joy and fulfillment in ways that they never imagined before or didn't have planned out for you. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> and I just, I, I'm, I'm really happy that, that, um, that the power of us sharing our story or as Brene Brown talks about the, 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 the power of vulnerability, that it really, it really does set us free. Um, the Bible even says in Revelation again, that, that, um, they overcame by, the, the 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 sacrifice of the lamb the word of their testimony because they didn't fear their lives unto death in other words um they were willing to speak up and they were willing to share and they were willing to be vulnerable um and when they did that that they overcame um so i think that we indeed can overcome um and there's so much there's so much on the other side of the struggles that we face right now I couldn't agree more when you shared that bit about how um, you people came to you and said that I, I I didn't I thought I was the only one and I needed to hear that. That has been a very a recurring uh, feeling that I've been having ever since I started this project. Because yeah. to be very honest, I started this project in hopes of creating what I never had, and I have heard and had conversations over the last couple of months of having this project that had I heard when the 16 year old grieving sister who lost her older brother at that point in time, if I heard those conversations, I would have been a different person. I would have reacted different. I would have felt different. I would have taken much less extreme steps as well in my life. And I think the power of vulnerability truly does set us free. I, I don't think there's a better way to describe it. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> It's, it's incredible how just having a conversation can ultimately have such a huge impact. And we often shy away from the conversations because it's so far, it's, it's uncomfortable and hard because it's so foreign. We're not used to it at all. And had, yeah. it's like you said, if, if the generations before us, if our parents were a little bit more open about how their struggles or what they were feeling, we'd have, we'd also have the impression that it's okay to like open up about this things could be yeah. monumentally different. Yeah. And, and, and I get it. I, I get that we want to put on a brave face for people. We want to, we want to seem like we have it together. Um, sometimes it's a coping mechanism because when the world is just too chaotic, we're like, okay, I'm just going to pretend everything is okay. Um, I think that's a, maybe even a human tendency. I, I know I've been there. I'm, I'm sure many others have been there. Um, but it's, it's an active choice for us to, to, to let the guard down. It's an active choice for us to let our tears be seen. Um, it's an active choice for us to, to lament or to grieve or to just feel sad where others can see that. Um, and while it looks like weakness, it's actually really brave. It takes a lot of courage to uh to let to let ourselves be seen unfinished and messy and hurting um and lacking and not having enough um but over and over again that's where i see life changing everything like it just it doesn't we don't have to get stuck there um we can really have some amazing freedom that comes when we're willing to be vulnerable you articulated that so well i 100% everything you said, yes. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. Um, I think something that I've, I've seen a lot of people struggle with, and I think um, 
they would love to hear the advice uh, honestly uh, this this concept when it comes to like it's an either it's a choice it's either your faith or your sexuality and i think a lot of people struggle with this do you have any advice or anything that you want to say to those that struggle with that thought that it's one of the two yes let's break the binaries <laughs> it is let's, insane let's... how this the concept of the binary system has sort of like infiltrated everything in this world right um and it's not that binaries can exist it's just that we don't have to put everything into a binary <laughs> even with our computers binary codes creates all this wonderful other stuff from just zeros and ones so um so while it feels like oh i have to make this big choice between my faith and my sexuality or i have to make this big choice between my family and my friends it's just like no what what if this just sits in constructive tension dr martin luther king talked about the constructive tension that happens when we hold two things that feel very opposing and that are very uncomfortable like that pressure builds something greater and i think if we if we uh, again use that courage to not run away from it if we sit with it if we figure out new solutions that don't come up in the first five to ten minutes of talking about it what what happens if we sit with something for a long time if we hear some stories for a long time if nothing changes for a long time but we're still active and present with it um it's not the same as ignoring it's not the same as pretending nothing's wrong, um, but to keep looking at it from different perspectives. Um, one of the things that I, I think is such a challenge here in the US uh, and in Western cultures is that um, whiteness and Western values are about quick answers and fast, fast movement. It's like to be productive, to be good, to be um, useful, you have to have these quick answers and move quickly and, and do things um, before you even deeply understand the problem. Um, and so that's one of those values that I want us to, 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 to actively resist. It's like, even myself as somebody who does trainings on anti-racism, um, a lot of people uh, will come to my class and say, okay, well, how do you fix racism? And I'm like, we need to first figure out if racism never ends in our lifetime, what is it that we're going to do to continue the, this work for the rest of our lives and be fulfilled and be sustained and so forth. Because if the only reason you're here is because you want it to end real quickly, then you're gonna burn out real fast. <laughs> but, um, and it's not to say that I think racism won't end or that I think oppression or, or discrimination can't end, it's that we, we set ourselves up for these false expectations that there's just one quick answer, that there's a silver bullet to use an expression, um, that there's something that's gonna quickly make it all go away. And it's like, no, that's, that's what keeps us in this place of making these fast and rash decisions that leave us frustrated and leave us feeling hopeless. But if we sit in that constructive tension, um, we really can come up with things that that do change the world, but maybe don't change it all right away. I think just learning that it's, even with the concept of like, if we take the example of mental health and the stigma around it, it's it's such a built up thing that's been like, we've been conditioned for years and years and years. As much as we want to, it won't break down in one swing. It's, you have <laughs> to chip away at it. <laughs> like, I, I wish I could take a bat and I could swing it across and I would break it down at one go, but it's <laughs> not as wonderful. easy. I or to take would... one pill and it's all done. Yay, trauma's gone. <laughs> if only. But I think that's the thing. Like, we're just so, we want quick answers. It's, it's, I think it's a, it's a human thing. I, I, it just, mm -hmm. we, we don't want to do the grunt work. We don't want to go through that uncomfortable stage of like, like when it comes to trauma you feel the trauma you've got to deal with it to break past it and i don't think a lot of us want that and i think right. that's with a lot of things we just tend to like shy away from anything that makes us feel uncomfortable yeah we, we want the movie ending like every every movie resolves in in about two to four hours at the most but 
they all resolve, right? They all come to an end. And we're like, well, that's how my life should be, right? You know, when I watch television shows, they, they wrap it up in about 20 minutes, not thinking about the fact that this is just fiction. <laughs> it's not going to wrap itself up that quickly. Uh, even history, you know, the, our actual history, we read it in a few moments, but forget that we're reading about hundreds of years sometimes, thousands of years sometimes, and that the people and the moments that, we, that we're reading about, they probably couldn't see the full impact of their choices then either. And so we're probably living historical moments right this second and can't see the full impact <laughs> of the thing. We're like, oh, it's just a podcast. It's just a conversation. It's just being a little vulnerable about my trauma. Meanwhile, somebody's over there having this life-changing experience. And we're just like, ah, I didn't mean anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, what you're saying makes so much sense though. Like we're just so, we wanted to finish up. Like we wanted to be tied up in a little bow in a present. Like it's a movie. Like, yes. you know, let, let's like, okay, TV show. I'm expect 20 minutes. It's too less, but two hours is good enough. Like, come on, let's be right. done now. <laughs> I did this already. I had this conversation with my therapist. I talked to my parents that one time. Surely they should have gotten it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. if only we all recognize that it's it's a it's it's grunt work that's going to take a while but it's worth doing i it think is. the biggest lesson that i've learned is even though it takes a bit of time and sometimes it makes us feel awfully uncomfortable it's worth doing in the end it is it is um i i'd love to um know uh what community means to you. I think this has been like a very special question that we've been having on the podcast. And it's been a very heartfelling experience for me to just hear the answer. So I would absolutely love if you tell us what community means to you. Oh, I love this question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the people that we choose to do life with. Um, so that can be our families, but it also can be our faith communities. It can be the friends that we have very vulnerable conversations with. Um, it can be our neighbors. It can be the, the nation or the state that we're a part of. Um, but to realize or to, to think actively about us making choices about who we integrate into that and who we're doing life with, um, and to acknowledge that some parts of our communities are, aren't people we chose. Um, this gets me off into a, another, another vein, but um, this is my justice mind speaking. When I talk about people that we didn't choose who are also part of our community, I mean, the people that we don't like, I'm of the opinion that we need to have, we need to have them in mind too. Um, I don't want the people that I don't like not to exist. Um, mm -hmm. I want them to thrive and have good lives too. Um, I just don't want us to be in conflict with each other. Um, and so when I think about people who are in prisons, when I think about people who have caused harm, I still want them to have a better life too. Um, because in some ways, when we're on the other side of that, when we're the people that someone else doesn't like or someone else doesn't want around, um, if we're not going to treat them as humans, then we are going to, we're going to do some very harmful things to them. And so to remember that community is the people that I love and I want around and community is the people that I don't like, but who are around <laughs> and that somehow um, I want to live and I want my community to be one that, that really does love everyone, um, even where there's boundaries or, or distance between certain, certain groups or certain people. Um, I still want to be authentically loving everyone. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a fresh little vein that just popped up when you, when you presented the question, but uh, I think it's important. I couldn't agree more. And also, thank you so much. I absolutely love hearing the answer to this question. I think uh, the interpretation of what community is to people, it's it's incredible to listen to because you will hear 
um, people that come from different parts of the world and they have a different culture, a different upbringing, mm-hmm. but you find that the concept of community, it's universal and like how people want to feel and like what they expect community to be. It's something that I have realized or rather I've noticed as I've had these conversations, it's a very shared feeling regardless of where we're from in the world. For sure. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about was is, and only if you're open to it and if you feel called upon to answer, is if you'd be open to talking a little bit about your experiences as a Black man and a member of the LGBTQI community. Oh, you're getting into the good stuff now. <laughs> not that not that we haven't already been in the good stuff. Um, oh, this is a fun one because... Uh, so often um my experience as being a black man in america is that uh people would like me to separate my experiences out um they would like me to be black at in one space and then be queer or gay in another space and never to be both black and gay in the same time in the same space even though i exist as one person um and so what that means is in black spaces i kind of often have to advocate and fight for my queerness and in non-Black spaces, I have to advocate and fight for my Blackness. And the happy, tiny intersection where I can be both Black and gay um, is, is a rare find. Um, and as society moves, it's wild. Like in the same breath, like I mentioned my story earlier about the Latin, uh, I saw a queer representation of myself, but the two guys were white or white passing and it's just like now if I could just find (laughs) some black or brown folks who are queer and singing these songs and being their whole wonderful selves it's like oh then we really have it right um so the the intersections the ways that that there are unique experiences to being both or being multiple things I think that's so important um, here in Chicago, if I go into the, our, our official LGBTQ neighborhood, which was called Boys Town, but they just renamed it to make it more inclusive. So it's not focused on boys per se or, or males or men. Um, it's very white, it's very affluent. Um, and there's a long history of people not wanting uh, non-affluent black and brown queer folks to be in quote unquote their neighborhood you know like they they as white queer affluent folks own the neighborhood they may own property in the neighborhood or they may own bars in the neighborhood but if this is the lgbtq neighborhood it's supposed to be for all of us and there's often tension there so there's two bars out of more than a dozen that play any kind of music that would cater to to myself or people who are like me um or there's certain nights of the month where you can go to certain bars and you have to kind of know where to go and when and, and all that it's not it's not like you could just go have a night on the town if that's your thing um and know that you'll find a lot of people who are like you um so that's that's difficult um but then it's also difficult to 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 live at these intersections and and to endlessly be explaining yourself and to endlessly be nuancing your experience for people who get one part of it but don't get the other parts and how they work together um it does give me a greater compassion um to advocate for others uh to advocate for people who are gender expansive to advocate uh for women to advocate um for my intersex friends Um, Because it's just like, oh, yeah, like I have the privilege of maleness. I have the privilege of being gay because that's overrepresented in LGBTQ community. Um, But I I certainly get it that there's lots of other intersections that don't get the kind of visibility that even I get. Um, And again, like the push for me to, to, to know, know my own story, know what I lacked and try to make spaces for others who also don't, don't get much spotlight to be seen. That's really important to me. Again, I say it, the work that you're doing is so incredibly important and it's, it's making, it's going to make a huge impact. Yeah. And I, I appreciate this, this work that you're doing, like to, to really 
have this this global reach to find these stories and to 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 knit together this narrative from across the world that is absolutely awesome and i love it thank you i appreciate you saying that um, another thing like you mentioned you are also a musician you're an artist you're also a photographer so uh, along with being a speaker a worship leader where you have this huge um, you're you're immersed in the field of art have you found your experiences reflect in your work oh absolutely um i i first got into photography because my dad was a photographer and I saw his work, but I never actually saw him use a camera. Um, but I had like the kind of household where I could be very creative and interested in all kinds of projects that were creative and no pushback, no resistance to it. My father would just make music that he would just listen to himself. Like there was no one else. There was no Spotify or, or iTunes to distribute it or, or anything. He would just make it on little cassette tapes and just enjoy his music. Um, so I had lots of room to, to build little sets in my, in my bedroom or build stages and do little performances. Um, so that was, that was awesome. Um, when I got into photography for other people, um, it was part of that justice work that I was mentioning, um, where we were doing, uh, where we were doing outreach and uh, trying to tell the story of us changing laws on the south side of Chicago to reduce violence and drug use. Um, and that really propelled me into this idea that my art could also affect change, that it could be an important part of getting funding or telling the story or getting other people aware or involved. Um, and I struggled with it because it was like, well, it's just taking pictures. And some people would even say that, were well, you just taking pictures? I'm the one who's out here doing the hard work. And it was just like, yeah. And if no one documented and no one would, was able to, to beautifully capture what you're doing, then the only people who would know about it are the people who were there. But I'm able to help amplify that message out in the places that you may never go, um, but they're seeing you and they're seeing what you're doing. So I, I, I learned the, the significance of my art um, in that in that way. Um, and then in church is probably where I get to most often exercise it. Um, as a worship leader, I'm somebody who does not play an instrument. Don't I don't read notes. I don't have formal training in music. Um, but I do have just enough knowledge to uh, to put things together in a way that creates these really profound experiences for people. Um, and so when I'm leading worship, when I'm when I'm creating a, a worship set, when I'm building a team that's going to be performing music or doing art, um, I take a lot of pride in how um, I'm able to use my unique gifts. It's like, yes, I don't, I don't have formal training. I don't have a degree. I don't read instruments. I can't tell you a, 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 a G chord from an E chord, but I can certainly <laughs> gather us around. Um, and help us to have an experience together that means something special and different than if you were just to do it on your own or do it by yourself. Um, and so that gets reflected in everything from the church that I'm a part to part of to the band that I sing in with the many. We create these, li these liturgy experiences and these prayers and these rituals that people who are leading church every week love and people who are done with the institutional church love. And that's powerful to me. It's just like, wow, like we keep treating those two groups as two very separate people. But the, I think there is a love for, 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 the, for the divine. There's a love for, for God that's in there that's common between both. And that we happen to be in this really fortunate place to be creating music and videos and, and experiences that speak to both. Um, so yeah, I think art is that wonderful thing that gets past a lot of our intellectual barriers and our and our binaries of wh who belongs where and what belongs with, with what, um, and just gives us this chance to, to reach and to touch and to, to impact people's hearts um, in really powerful ways. I've always found that uh, creativity and healing have this beautiful overlap that's often um, like overlooked. And yeah. I think in a world where we're divided by countries, religion, language, borders, art is this one connecting tool that it sort of like it casts this wide net where mm -hmm. everyone can sort of just be a part of and I think that's why I truly believe that art is truly 
um, the direction we need to move in to move towards like a collective healing of the world. Absolutely. And I, I know that probably scares some folks, but, <laughs> but I, I, I do think that there are ways that we are all art, artists, even, even somebody who's, who's coding and, and writing these binary numbers into stuff that, that there's art to that. Um, the, the, the science is, there's so much art and science. There's so much art and engineering. There's so much that we do together because again, I'm a, I'm a visionary but I don't have the technical skill. I need the people who know the technical stuff to bring these visions to pass. I can't do it on my own. And so I think that's the beauty of these relationships and this collaboration and the ways that art meets the different, different disciplines. Um, it does bring us together in some, some amazing ways. It creates community. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just love absolutely it. love the concept of community. So I, I take every chance I can to like bring it up like community. <laughs> Yes, we love it. <laughs> oh, Darren, I can only imagine the kind of resistance you probably met through um, with the work that you do. Um, would you be uh, open to telling us how you dealt with those hurdles over your journey? Yeah. Yeah. Um, normally, the resistance has been um, kind of like microaggressions or, or very small comments that on their own don't necessarily mean a lot, but when you keep hearing them over and over and over, they kind of pile up into something bigger. Um, so most of the time it was, oh, well, you know, again, what does God really want for your life? Little innocent seemingly, seemingly innocent questions that are part of this bigger idea that, um, that pull you off course in some ways and uh, can distract you in some really powerful ways. Um, but then there's also the bigger things. Like I mentioned, when, uh, when that conservative Christian magazine targeted me and was calling my church, calling anybody they could find related or connected to me, um, that had me really on guard for a number of years. Because even if I did something as simple as take a picture um, of a rainbow flag that was in Target, the super, the, the, uh, the, the store, um, there were people who would screenshot that, write an article about it, and rail against my church as if that picture in a in a public <laughs> space meant something about my church. Um, and I remember feeling feeling like these people don't actually care about me; they care about their agenda to discredit my church and my, my community. Um, and I just remember uh, coming to the conclusion, it's just like, I've lived this very, very public life and I've put a lot of my personal information out there for the sake of, of hopefully helping others. But I also realized that there were limits to what I could reasonably safely share. And so people who called my church asking whether or not I was having sex, because this article listed me as the openly gay worship leader, I was like, you don't actually care whether or not I'm having sex. You don't care about me. <laughs> Even though you're talking about people going to hell for being gay, you don't care if I go to hell or not, because you're not trying to like disciple me. You're not trying to get in into my life and get to know my story and to walk with me. You just want to verify this tidbit of sensational tabloid journalism so that you could feel good about your disdain for my church. And that changed the way that I engage publicly. And so once upon a time, I used to try to tell everybody everything. So there was nothing that you could judge me for that you felt was a secret. And it was like, yep, no, I don't have secrets. I'm out as can be. Um, but I don't owe everybody uh, every bit of my life. And that's an exercise in me um, living in brave but protective space where I can keep things for myself. I can keep things that are, that are personal. Um, and again, it's not a secret. It's not a thing I hide. So I don't tell people about whether or not I'm having sex or if I'm celibate or not or, or uh, if I'm dating or not. It's my freedom to do so um but it's one of those things i'm like yep no i've i've been damaged for about 20 years on these topics i'm gonna hold that for me i'm gonna i'm gonna let that heal and grow for me 
Um, so realizing that even though, uh, even though parents or church leaders may want to ask you some very personal and invasive kind of questions, uh, you don't owe them answers. They can ask all day long, but you don't know, oh, everybody answers. Um, and so I appreciate even in how you've been interviewing me, you've been saying if you feel comfortable and if you'd like to share and giving people that autonomy and that agency to choose what they share and don't share. I think that's so powerful. Like we, we really do have choices that sometimes the world has, has told us, oh, you have to do this. It has to go this way. And it's like, it doesn't. <laughs> it's going to be okay. We could have a great interview and a great conversation if I didn't choose to tell you every single detail of my life. Um, and that's okay. It's still useful. It's still valuable. Um, some people will be upset. Some people will be angry. And you're not responsible for their, for their anger. You're not responsible for their reactions. <clears throat> If we, uh, if we take responsibility for ourselves and make sure that we're healthy and we're safe and we're okay and let other people take responsibility for themselves and make sure that they're healthy, that they're happy, that they're okay, then I think we all can be happy and healthy and okay. But when we let parents or friends or church leaders tell us, oh, you're the reason the church is, is, is breaking up or you're the reason that, that the family is, is breaking up or or that there's fighting or there's division, don't receive it. It's not yours. Um, you, you can only do what you can do. And uh, while other people may want to, to put those bits of blame on you, it's not yours. Don't take it. So, yeah. You can only do what you can do. I think that's a wonderful reminder for all of us. And thank you for yeah. saying that. I really appreciate um, the acknowledgement of how I've been having the conversation. Um, I always, uh, I hold space for a person, but I, I know people say that it's your podcast. So like, even though it's just a space, it's a medium that that's being put out, but it's your story. And the only person who decides how much of your story needs to go out is you. So, which is why it's Amen. so important to me that you're comfortable. And like, even with the questions, we send them beforehand because for me, what's most important is, of course, having the conversation is important and having these discussions out for people to listen, it has a monumental impact, but never at the expense of who's coming on. It's always in what you feel safe and what you feel comfortable sharing. So thank you for acknowledging that. I really appreciate it because I try very hard to hold space in that manner. Yeah, it is, it is generative. It is healthy. I love it. Thank you. Um, so um, it's, I, I actually just have one more question and um, it's been such an incredible conversation, truly. I'm so grateful um, with everything, your experiences and what your work has been now. Would you say that the churches are more friendly and inclusive now? I think we have seen an unprecedented level of growth in how churches are responding to these conversations everywhere. Um, everything from civil laws changing about same-sex marriage to uh, just increased media presence of genderqueer people and gender expansive folks and, and uh, just LGBTQ folks in general. Okay. Um, so, so with Church Clarity, this, uh, this very accessible resource um, for churches to, to share where they are. I don't think there's a, a single right answer as far as it, but I want people to be more transparent. And so I think that we're in this really great moment where people can't, can't hide behind ambiguity. Like they have to say something or it's very, it's very loud when they say nothing. So if a, 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 a pop celebrity says something horrible, there's going to be a response on Twitter. <laughs> sure. if, if a pastor is espousing some really harmful beliefs, I promise you there's going to be an article about it within 24 hours. And so I think there's this wake-up call that we can't be passive when it comes to the, the dignity and, and experience of people who have been traditionally marginalized. Um, and so I'm thankful for things like the Me Too campaign. I'm thankful for the ways that Twitter like will find everything in people's history. It's not that I think you can't grow or move past it, but when your history or your past comes up or something that you said that was problematic comes up, if you've grown, you should be able to respond to it and apologize for your past and apologize for the mistakes you've made 
and or be ready to make amends to to repair the breach to to say oh wow i really did i would say something harmful and i'd really like to hear how it affected you and so forth and then make a real apology not a i already apologized for this or i'm not that person or everyone knows me and i'm such a good person and i would never hurt any no we don't need we don't need you to center yourself <laughs> we need to know what you're doing now um so yeah i, I do believe that uh very worried <laughs> and I don't think that's anything to be afraid of. I think it's an opportunity to grow and to start realizing that you can't just throw people in a closet, figuratively or literally, and expect them to go away. Um, and so, yeah, we're in progress, we're in process, um, but things are certainly better. Well, at least in, in post-colonialization history. <laughs> Pre-colonialization, I think it was some good stuff happening in the world. But after that whole colonialization thing, it got really messy. So we're, we're fixing that now. <laughs> I think anyone who is struggling with these kind of thoughts or is in that point of their journey where they are skeptical, frightened, whatever it is, I think what you just shared now gives them hope. And I am incredibly grateful that you said it. And honestly, I think this conversation as a whole is going to give a lot of hope to people. And I'm so, yeah. so grateful you took the time and you graciously accepted my invitation to have such an important and like hard hitting conversation, but you did it with so much grace and like your, the way you articulated everything. I'm incredibly grateful that I could share the space with you um, before. But that is basically what I wanted to talk about. And before we wind up, um, I just want to know, do you have any final words or any advice or anything you want to leave for the listeners? Yeah, I, I want people to know that grace is sufficient, that, the, the, that, that that's how I've been able to get through all the things, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the otherwise. Um, and that, um, that yeah, we're, we're in this amazing time where people have access uh, via the internet and, and other means to connect with folks and not be so alone. Um, so whatever it is, you, wherever you are on your journey, whatever you're trying to figure out, there are resources for you. Um, and if you're still, if you need some more things, I'd love to, to, to share where you can find me. Um, my website is darrencalhoun.com. That's D-A-R-R-E-N-C-A-L-H-O-U-N.com. Um, where I have links to the work that I'm doing and other places I'm connected to. Uh, if you're a Christian and you're looking for support um, as an LGBTQ plus person, or if you're a pastor or a parent um, trying to find out resources for LGBTQ stuff, uh, qchristian.org um, is where you can find lots of resources and community. And Q Christian is mostly in the US, but we actually do have a, a strong number of people who are international um, and we're working on having more of our content uh, shared in other languages uh, to make it even more, ac more accessible. Um, and then beyond that, if you just need some music that reminds you of hope and reminds you that the world is a messy place, but there's still something to believe in, uh, check out themanyarehere.com where you can get to know the music that I've been doing um, with my band and uh, get to meet another community full of people who are weary, broken, confused, hurt, upset, angry even, um, but who are still hopeful and still looking uh, to figure out how to, how we can uh, be led by love and make the world a better place. So yeah, I'd love it if, if folks would check that stuff out. And if you're on, on social media, hey Darren, H-E-Y-D-A-R-R-E-N is my handle on most sites. So look me up, say hi. <laughs> Thank you so much, Darren. I will make sure to link uh, all your socials and your website when this episode comes out. Again, I am so incredibly grateful that you took the time to have this conversation with me. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to meet you. Likewise. <laughs>